I know Pastor did not announce this morning, and he said because he didn't know, but the fact is he was afraid nobody would come if he announced. <laughs> no, he didn't know, and I didn't either, okay. But uh, we're here. I, it would uh, <clears throat> certainly be prof uh, uh, absolutely unnecessary uh, for me to say tonight that I'm happy to be here. Because at my age, I'm happy to be anywhere in the world, okay? <laughs> but, but it is a great joy to be here at Heritage Baptist Church, and I have I've been here um, many, many times. Uh, I don't even remember the first time I was here. Uh, I do remember the little building uh, that was over where Potomac Mall is now. And uh, so I, I go back farther than most of you. Uh, a few months ago, a few years ago now, a couple years ago, I was at the Lewis Avenue Baptist Church in uh, Michigan. I, I, you never know if it's in Michigan or Ohio. It's right on the border. Any, anyway, one of those places. And uh, uh, I, 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 we had eaten dinner in the missionaries and the, the pastoral staff had eaten dinner in the basement. <clears throat> and we were walking up the stairs to the auditorium. And there was a little girl uh, standing at the top of the stairs. And she looked at me and she said, Sir, you look old. <laughs> and I said, Well, hon, the reason I look old is because I am old, okay? And a few months after that, I was in Wilson, North Carolina with Brother Joe Shakura at the Tabernacle Baptist Church there. And uh, he had taken me to a restaurant, he, he and his wife, Chance, uh, Candace. And uh, while we were eating, uh, Candace said, Brother Sis, uh, I, I remember you coming to our church, and that would have been the Temple Baptist Church over in Herndon. I, I remember you coming to our church when I was a little girl. And she said, uh, you were old then. <laughs> So I said, yeah, I, I got old in a hurry, and m many, many years ago, I got about as old and as ugly as you can, so uh, if you take a picture of me today and one about 20 years ago, it wouldn't, really wouldn't have changed much. I guess you can't get any worse than that, okay? But it is a joy to be here with you, and thank you, Pastor Carpenter, for uh, le letting me come on short notice and so forth like this, and uh, I, I do uh, thank God for Heritage Baptist Church, and I don't know how many years, but many, many years you have been a faithful supporter of the, the ministry that God has given to us. And uh, not, not only in your finances, and that's very helpful, of course, but uh, also in your prayers. And, and thank you for praying for me. Um, uh, my, my wife, from the last uh, seven months, I stayed with her constantly. I mean, I canceled all my meetings and everything. And uh, my, my prayer was, dear God, uh, let me live long enough and have enough strength to take care of Virginia until you take her to heaven. Uh, and she did that. And uh, after she went to heaven, uh, Brother Carpenter, my prayer became, dear God, let me live till I die. <laughs> now you say, well, you're going to live till you die, <laughs> Okay. But, but what I meant by that prayer was, uh, dear Lord, let me live and be of use to you in your kingdom's work till I die. Now, I, I don't have any right to tell God how I'm going to die. 
but I am his son, so I can ask him, amen? And God has been so good to me to give me so many uh, places to minister. And, and, and thank you, dear folks, for your prayers, your financial support. And uh, uh, you won't have to do that very much longer, okay? Uh, I think maybe the Lord may come soon. And if he doesn't come soon, I'm going to die, okay? Now, everywhere I go, pre preachers say, well, brother, sis, we don't want you to die on our watch. And I said, well, I got to die on somebody's watch, amen. <laughs> but uh, thank you for praying for me. Uh, open your Bible to Mark chapter 8, the Gospel of Mark chapter 8. And uh, I'm going to begin reading with verse 20, uh, 36, okay? The Gospel of Mark chapter 8. And again, if you don't mind, let's, let's stand for the reading of God's Word tonight, okay? Mark chapter 8, and beginning with verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What a verse. What shall a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Let's pray together. Lord, I, I thank you for Heritage Baptist Church and how you've led her through these years. I thank you, dear Lord, for the present leadership, for Pastor Carpenter and his dear wife and for the family members. And I thank you, dear Lord, for the other uh, staff members and the people here. Uh, what, what a wonderful testimony this is for you in this needy area. Now, now dear Lord, I, I pray that you'd bless me tonight because uh, I'd, I'd like to be a blessing to your people. Uh, but the only way in the world I could do that would be that you would bless me. Lord, I realize the reality of the verse that says, I am the vine, you are the branch, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And that great insightful ending, without me, you can do nothing. And Lord, the branch separated from the vine can do nothing. So Lord, I recognize that tonight again, uh, I am totally dependent on you. And I pray that you would anoint my mind today that I could think right. I pray you'd anoint my lips that I could speak right. But Lord, more than all of that, I pray that you'd anoint my heart that I'd be right. And dear Lord, I'll promise you already that when this service is over, whatever you do, and when my life is over, whatever you do through me, I'll give you all the honor and glory because only you deserve it. We beg these petitions in your name. Bless your people through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Tonight I want to speak to you on the subject of some inescapable driving thoughts. Think about that thought. Inescapable driving thoughts. Now, uh, many times we have a thought and it comes and it goes and it really doesn't mean anything. 
Okay, for instance, when, when I was a boy growing up in Kentucky, uh, I, I started listening to Kentucky basketball games early. Uh, this was long before TV, okay? And uh, uh, I, 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 I always loved basketball. And so when I was a boy, I, I, I dreamed that, that, that I would uh, grow to be about 6'5", and I would be as fast as lightning, and I could shoot the ball well and dribble well. And uh, the legendary coach, Adolph Rupp, would come to my little town of Nortonville and recruit me for the University of Kentucky basketball team. It's a good thought. <laughs> I grew to be 5'9", slow as molasses, couldn't handle the ball, and uh, most of my basketball career was used sitting on the bench, okay? It was a good thought, okay? Uh, I remember when I was pastoring in Providence, Kentucky, uh, we, we would go to Evansville, Indiana, across the Ohio River, and just across the Ohio River over in Evansville, uh, they were building a little restaurant, and uh, we watched the restaurant go up. They put some arches around it, and uh, when, when they got it open, uh, we stopped in there, and, and hamburgers were 10 cents, and uh, the Coca-Colas were a nickel, and the French fries were 5 cents, and that just fit our budget. So we stopped over there. And, and I've often thought, uh, Brother Carpenter, if I would have borrowed $1,000 and invested in that little company, uh, I'd be a multimillionaire today. Guess what? I didn't do it, okay? The good thought. But there's some people that's had a thought, and, and I mean, they, they cannot get away from it. And it has literally driven them to do some great things for the glory of God. Uh, in the early days of uh, Lynchburg Baptist College, which is now Liberty University, uh, I was in a mission conference there one year, and uh, one of the speakers was the great missiologist, uh, J. Uh, Oswald Smith, or Oswald J. Smith, okay? And uh, he, he was 94 years old at that time, and still tall, still preaching well and so forth. And I, I, I never will forget reading books that J. Oswald Smith had written but the one that I, I remembered where he made this statement, and by the way, if you would go to the People's Church there in Toronto, across the back of it, uh, you would find these words written. No one has a right to hear the gospel twice until everyone has heard it once. He had that thought, and it was a driving thought for him. Even though he pastored a large church in Toronto, uh, he would take as much as six months to a year off and travel around the world and find out what was happening all over the world and then come back to North America and, and uh, encourage people to send missionaries to those places and to give to Faith Promise Missions. He popularized what we call Faith Promise Giving. He had a thought. It was a driving thought for him. Uh, I knew a man by the name of Bob Hughes. Bob Hughes was a missionary in the Philippines. And in Cebu City, he developed one of the greatest churches in the world. 
and uh, at an early age, and he developed other churches and had Bible colleges and so forth. But at an early age, Bob Hughes contacted cancer. And he stayed in the Philippines as long as he could. Finally, his family said, uh, please go home, come home and, you know, see your mother and your dad and family and so on and so forth. And he came home, but even when he came home, uh, he, he, he went to places and preached. And he had a famous sermon that he preached. And the name of the sermon was, I sat where they sat, talking about the people of the Philippines. In that sermon, he would make this statement. Listen to it. Most of the people in the Philippines are dying and going to hell simply because they do not know the true gospel. And that drove him, not only what he did in the Philippines, but to preach until God took him home. <clears throat> One of the last places, might have been the last place that he went, he preached at First Baptist Church, Hammond, Indiana. And, of course, all of the uh, Howes Anderson students were there. And he preached that sermon and told about the need in the Philippines. And there was a young man there by the name of Rick. And uh, Rick put his hand over on his wife's hand, Becky. And he said, Becky, we're going to the Philippines. And they did. 42 years ago, Rick and Becky Martin went to the Philippines. Now, if, if I have not seen this from my own eye, I wouldn't believe it. If you told me, I wouldn't believe it, okay? And you, I'll tell you, you might not believe it, but I know it's true. Since he went there to Iloilo, started a Bible church study, started a church, then started a Bible college, and then out starting other churches, other churches starting Bible college. From that congregation, from that group, there's been over 1,300 independent Baptist churches started. Amen. Uh, thank God for the driving thought that Bob Hughes had. People are dying going to hell simply because they do not know the true gospel. So the verse that I read in our hearing this evening, uh, I, I want to, to think with you and encourage you about having something that drives you. Something that drives you. Something that you cannot get away from. Uh, something that you have to do something about. Number one, I think of the incalculable value of a soul. The incalculable value of the soul. And it, it doesn't matter what kind of computer you got, doesn't matter what kind of calculator you got, uh, there is no way to calculate the value of one soul. Look what the Bible says. And what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world you know what that means? That means if a man could be anything he wanted to be, if he could have anything he wanted to have, if he could live anywhere he wanted to live, if he could associate with any people that he wanted to associate with, if he had all of those things and died and went to hell, he'd be the loser. The incalculable 
value of a soul. Have you noticed just about everything we look at, we wonder, how much is that worth? Somebody gets a new car, wonder how much they had to pay for that? Some lady gets a new dress, wonder how much she had to pay for that? Uh, the value, the value. What's the value of one soul? Listen to a scripture. Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. That's a great verse. Don't, don't get too hung up on yourself. You're just dust, okay? And uh, you'll go back to dust, okay? So don't get too hung up on yourself, okay? God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And he breathed into the nostrils of him. I'm, I'm sorry, let me read it right. And he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. And man, now listen very carefully, man became a living soul. In other words, the soul of man will live on for eternity. The value of a soul. Someone asked one of the Mayo brothers and the brothers who were founders of the Mayo Clinic, both of them very devout Christian men. Have you ever, you've operated on man, you know all the parts of man's body. Have you ever seen a soul? Have you ever seen a soul? And Dr. Mayo answered, no. But I've never operated on a man until, first of all, I prayed for his soul. Man has a soul. And that soul is going to exist or live somewhere for eternity. One of the most challenging verses in the Bible is in Luke chapter 16. The Bible tells us about two men. Uh, one of the men was uh, very wealthy, had everything that he needed, best of clothes, best of food, best of living conditions, everything that he needed. The other one was a poor beggar. He had nothing. His name was Lazarus. Uh, we don't know the other man's name. And Lazarus was a poor man. Uh, he, he sat at the rich man's gate just hoping he'd get a little of the crumbs from the rich man's table. Sores all over, and even the dogs licked those sores. But listen to what the Bible says. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. In other words, into the presence of God. Isn't that a great thought? Now, the verse has always meant a lot to me, but it never meant as much to me as 1 a.m. July the 8th, 2017, when my dear wife of 65 years breathed her last prayer. And I recall the thought, absent from the body and present with the Lord. 
she breathed her last breath of earthly air and her first breath of celestial air. Absent from the body. Uh, Lazarus died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, the presence of God. And then the Bible says, and the rich man also died and was buried. I don't know, maybe Lazarus didn't have a burial. You go to places like India, and sometimes they just go in trucks and pick up all the dead people that died of starvation and so forth and put them in mass graves. But probably this rich man had a very elaborate, expensive funeral. And he was, he was buried. But notice what it said. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. Being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Hey, folks, let's don't ever get used to people dying and going to hell. And by the way, when people die, uh, they either go to heaven or they go to hell. Uh, I've read my Bible through many, many times for well over 60 years, at least one time a year. And it doesn't matter how many times you read it, you will never find more than two eternal destinies. One of them is heaven and the other one is hell. I said that to a Catholic lady one day, and she said, oh, preacher, you're wrong. There's another place. It's called purgatory. And I said, that's not in the Bible. Oh, she said, yeah, it's in the Bible. And she brought me her Bible, and in the footnotes, there was purgatory. Even in the Catholic Bible, there's no purgatory. And I said to me, ma'am, those footnotes are not inspired. Another woman, she wanted to prove that pouring water over somebody's head was baptism. And she said, I got a picture. Prove it. And John the Baptist and Jesus are standing out in the Jordan River. John the Baptist had picked up a, a pan and poured some water over the head of Jesus. And again, I had to say, ma'am, that picture is not inspired. Amen. Thank God for the infallible, inerrant, verbally inspired word of God. But purgatory is not there. In the Bible, there's only two places, either heaven or hell. The incalculable value of a soul. One soul, one soul is worth more than the whole world. By the way, that's the words of Jesus. And he knows the value of everything. So the incalculable value. Secondly, the indifference of mankind about souls. The indifference of mankind about souls. Uh, 
<clears throat> you, you can meet anybody, maybe you've never met them before. Strike up a conversation. You want to talk about the weather? Oh, they'll be glad to talk about the weather. You want to talk about football, football season? Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll tell you, talk about football. Uh, you want to talk about politics? Oh, yeah, that's one of our favorite subjects. By the way, we can't do anything about the weather, and we can't do anything about football. Usually, <laughs> you can sit and watch it, but that you can't change it. But you start talking about souls. You start, talk, start talking about heaven and hell. And I'll tell you, they turn you off in a hurry. I, I never will forget one time. And, uh, I live in Chattanooga, and it, I, I fly out every week. And I always go to Atlanta. In fact, in the Southwest, you have to go through Atlanta to get to heaven, okay? But uh, and it, it's only a 30-minute flight from Chattanooga to Atlanta. And a, a few months ago, I, I sat down beside the fellow, and uh, uh, he was not quite as old as I am, but he, he had a lot of years on him, okay? And we began to talk, and, and he was telling me, he said, I started out in Cleveland, Ohio this morning, I came to Chattanooga to do some business. He said, now I'm going to Miami and I'm going to have a, a, a time of rest and so forth down there. And he began to tell me about the amazing day we're living in, how good it is and how rapid transportation is and all those things. And I mean, he would not stop talking. And I thought, if he ever breathes real hard, I'm going to try to witness to him. And uh, sure enough, he did, okay? And I, and I said to him, I said, you know, it, it is amazing what technology has done for our day. The rapid transportation, the uh, mass communication, all of those, that is wonderful, that's wonderful. I said, let, let me ask you a question. Do you know you're saved and going to heaven? And I read this first. And man, you know what, he looked at me, he said, sir, I've got a headache. I don't feel like talking. Huh? Now, I can I kind of understand lost people being indifferent about their soul. I, I was one time. Probably you were, okay? But one of the difficult things for me to understand is how that we as Christians can ever be indifferent about the souls of men. But we are. Listen to a verse. Psalms 142, verse 4. I look on my right hand, and behold, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Could I submit to you tonight? They may not be saying these words, but they could be said about people all over the Washington, D.C. area. They've come from all parts of the world. God has brought the mission field to our doorstep. Some of them may be in your neighborhood. And uh, they may watch you as you get your Bible and 
get in the car and, and go to church and, and wonder why are they doing that. Uh, they may be across town. Uh, they may be somewhere else. But all of us ought to be concerned about people that are lost and dying and going to hell. Could I submit to you tonight? Everybody you meet tomorrow, everybody you come in contact with, will either spend eternity in heaven or in hell. How concerned are we? I read this in a book of illustrations. It's a little test. Would you have gotten involved? Would you have gotten involved? Uh, here it is. Three scenarios, okay? Kitty Grievous. One day returned to her apartment. This is a true story. She was beaten and abused. And people all around her were watching. 30 or 40 people saw what was happening. And not one of them cared enough to even make a phone call to the police. Would you have done something? Another one. Andrew Morinell, a 17-year-old lad riding a subway in a large city was stabbed there were 11 other passengers in that car. They stabbed him, blood running from him. 11 people, not a one of them helped him. He lay there and died in a pool of blood. Not one of them dared to do anything to help him. Would you have intervened? Would you have done something? Just one other. No, nor Bradley. New York City, Fifth Avenue. Tripped and broke her leg. She lay on the sidewalk crying, begging somebody to help her. Not for five minutes, not for ten minutes, not for a half an hour, but for 40 minutes, lying there, hundreds of people walking over her, passing around. No one stopped to help her. Finally, a cab driver saw what was happening, put her in his car, and took her to the hospital. Would you have gotten involved had you been there? The sad thing is, we get in our comfort zone and we're not about to step out of it to help anybody. I meet people and you meet people every day 
that knows absolutely nothing about the greatest story ever told. Huh? They're lost. Uh, they may not be crying out, but they're lost. Horrible situation to be lost. They're already condemned. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. They're not going to be condemned. I've had mothers say to me, Brother Seth, I'm afraid my teenage son is going to be lost. He's not going to be lost. He's already lost. I'm afraid my husband, I'm afraid my wife, I'm afraid my parents. No, no, they're not going to be lost. If they're not saved, they're already lost. They're already condemned. And all that's keeping them out of hell is the brickle thread of life. Question? What am I doing? What are you doing? I never will forget many years ago being in South Africa with Brother Roger McCrum in Whitbank, South Africa, mission conference. There was an elderly man there from England, not from Scotland, I'm sorry. And uh, I guess because of our ages, we got together every night. And we become good friends. I mean, we had something to talk about, the World War II, one thing after another. Uh, the very last night, of the meeting, Henry put a note in my hand after we had talked for a while. So we got back to the room where we were staying, and I said, uh, I want you to read this note that Henry wrote to me, and I looked at it, and this is what it said. It said, Brother Sis, if we could get to heaven in an automobile, I'd like for you to be the driver. He said, you know how to get there. And he said, you know how to tell people how to get there. And Brother Carpenter, that, that brought conviction to my heart. And I thought, I do know the way. And I do know how to tell people how to get there. But am I really doing all that I can? You think about all the people that are lost and dying and going to hell. They've never one time heard the gospel message. And you think about the fact there are missionaries that are willing to go if God's people will give. Do we care enough to get involved? Uh, it, it doesn't mean we feel sorry for them. It doesn't mean we pity them. No, it means we are willing to go where they are and get involved with them. Hey, they may not look like us. They may not act like us. They may not live like us. But they need the Savior. The indifference of mankind about souls. One other thing. The incredible love of God for lost souls. 
We sing about the love of God. We read about it. We rejoice in it. The incredible love of God. I want you to quote a Bible verse with me. Everybody here tonight, children and all, you know it, okay? So let's all say it together. I'll start it. You say it with me, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. Have you ever noticed many times you pass over words in the Bible and you've read them so many times that, that you don't think much about them? We have to be careful about that because this book is the verbally inspired. That means every word is inspired. The verbally inspired. Could I have you think about tonight the word soul? God so loved the world. That means the world of mankind. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. It does not matter about the color of their skin. It does not matter about their social condition. It does not matter about their educational attainment or anything else. It does not matter how bad they are. God loves them. God loves them. I was thinking the other day, nobody is too bad that God cannot save them. You, you remember the statement by Paul? These are good and faithful words and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save what? Sinners. And then he said, of whom I am the chief. For many, many years, I've read that verse. Now, yep, Paul, before you got saved, you, you persecuted the church, uh, you arrested people, you had them killed. You were the chief of sinners. But if you'll notice the term there, Paul didn't say, I was the chief of sinners. He said, I am the chief of sinners. Paul, you've done all these things. Thank God he never got so good he couldn't help other people. If we're not careful, sometimes we get too good. Huh? In our own mind, not in reality, okay? But in our own mind. There's nobody too bad to be saved. But there are some people that are too good to be saved. Huh? What do you mean by that? There's none righteous, no, not one. But there are some people that think they're so good that they do not need to be saved. My dear friend, God can save anybody. I'm glad that when he died, he died for the sins of the whole world. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, 
but for the sins of the whole world. By the same token, there's nobody too dumb to be saved. Huh? Nobody. But there's some people too smart to be saved. I've studied the life of men like uh, Einstein and, and uh, some of the great people that if I mentioned their name, you'd recognize them. They believed in the deity. Uh, they, they, they believed in the God of creation. But they were so smart. They couldn't figure it out. How that you could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They were too smart to be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, aren't you glad for that word? Whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here's the picture, folks, that shows you how much God loved you and how much God loved me. 27th chapter of Matthew. I'm not going to read it. You know it. Jesus went through the most unjust trial in the history of mankind. Everything about his trial was illegal. And finally, he was condemned to die the death by crucifixion. And the mob cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate tried to get his blood off of his hand. But you can't wash the blood off of your hand. They arrested him. They took him and put his face to a wall and beat him with a cat of nine tails, 39 lashes. And many times the victim would die just by being scourged. Many times the internal parts of their body would be torn out. Where Jesus, he lived through it. You can imagine the blood 39 times You've probably seen a replica of the cat of nine tails. A whip with a ball on the end of it, protruding point, 39 times coming down that back. Then they put on his back a scarlet rope. Led him away again. Think about it. He's God. He created the universe. And God the Father looks down from heaven. And he does nothing. And Jesus does nothing to protect himself. He could have spoken one word. And the whole bunch would have died. But he didn't. And you know why he didn't? I love you. 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 I, I love you so much that I'm willing to suffer so you can be saved. 
They put a crown of thorns on his head. Again, blood everywhere. Uh, they, they smote him with rods. They spit in his face. Can you imagine the creator spitting in the face? Or the creature spitting in the face of the creator. They led him away to Calvary. They put those spikes in his hand and in his feet. For six long hours in agony, he suffers. The greatest suffering he had was not the physical pain. Because when he hung there on that tree, all of your sins and all of my sins and any filthy sin that has ever been committed was put on him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And all of our sin was put upon him. And he knew this was going to happen. And that's the reason in Calvary he, he prayed and sweated as it were great drops of blood. And he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What do you mean, if it be possible? If the people that's going to be saved at Heritage Baptist Church can be saved any other way, let this cup pass from me. And he's not talking about the physical suffering. He's thinking about bearing the sins of the world. And all of a sudden you hear him cry. Out of the darkness. Eli, Lama Sabakathan, my God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? And for the first time in all eternity, God the Father and God the Son are separated. Because God is a holy God. He cannot look upon sin. And Jesus suffered your hell and my hell. Now, he didn't have any sin, but he became sin for me. And for you, that's love, huh? For God so loved the world. I never will forget uh, the first time my wife told me that she loved me. I'd, I'd walked her home from church one night, and uh, we, we probably couldn't, but we kissed, okay? <laughs> Okay, you, you pastors say, don't kiss anybody until you marry. Okay, and, and I'm confessing, okay. <laughs> but, but I remember Virginia saying to me, Don, I love you. And man, I went home that night. My head was swimming. And I, I, all I could think of was, how could somebody as beautiful and wonderful as she is love somebody like me? We were married for 65 years. Now, I guarantee you in those 65 years, she had that same thought many times, didn't it? <laughs> when, when, when she said, Don, I love you, there were so many things about Don that she didn't know. If we revealed everything, we probably never would get married.
one day, God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to my heart. And I knew God loved me. And by the way, he knew everything I'd ever done, everything I would ever do. And yet, he loved me. The Apostle Paul made a great statement. From the time Paul got saved till he died, he had one passion. He was driven. He was driven to get the gospel to the whole world. He had many trials, persecutions, all kind of criticism, everything. But he made this wonderful statement in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ constraineth me, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Listen to that. The love of Christ keeps me going. Paul, with all you've had on you, all the persecution, all the trouble, with all you, how can you keep going? And Paul said, the love of Christ. Oh, Paul, it's your love for Christ that keeps you going. No, I love him. But my love is fickle compared to his love. It's not my love for Christ. It's his love for me. For we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Think about it. Think about it as you go to work tomorrow. Think about it as you go to school tomorrow. Think about it as you go to the grocery tomorrow. Think about it as you go to the service station tomorrow. Everybody you meet is either going to heaven or hell. Don't ever get used to people going to hell. Think about it tonight. There are billions that have never heard. And we've heard and God has blessed us with so much. And yet we're giving so little comparatively to what we could so the whole world can hear the gospel. The incalculable value of a soul. No way to calculate the value. The indifference of mankind. Don't ever get indifferent. Don't ever get unconcerned. Then the incredible love of God. Just keep that going, okay? We have a tendency to always think about our problems. I've often thought, we are to glance at our problems and we are to gaze at God. Keep your eyes on him and keep serving. Keep praying. Keep witnessing. Keep doing whatever you can so that everybody can hear the gospel at least one time. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder how many of you tonight would be able to say with me, Brother Sisk, there's a lot of things in the Bible I don't understand, a lot of things I don't know, but there is one thing that I, I know for sure. And that is that I know for sure 
I'm saved and going to heaven. I have Bible reasons to know that if I should die tonight, and by the way, any of us could, if I should die tonight, I would spend eternity in heaven. If that's your testimony, would you lift your hands real high? Leave them up a minute, would you? Leave them up a minute. And while your hand is lifted, would you utter a silent prayer and thank God for his amazing grace that saved you? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You may put your hands down. I wonder if there's a man or a woman, boy or girl, here tonight. And you'd say, Brother Sis, I didn't lift my hand. I don't know for sure that I'm saved and going to heaven. I do know for sure I, I don't want to die and go to hell. And I'd, I'd really like to know that all my sins are forgiven and that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and that I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven. I'd really like to know that. Would you let me pray for you? I wouldn't call your name. I wouldn't know you. Even if I did, I wouldn't call your name. I will not embarrass you in any way whatsoever. But I wonder if there's a man or a woman, boy or girl, right now, lift your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me. I don't know for sure I'm saved and going to heaven. I'd like to know that. I'd like to know that. Please pray for me. Anybody like that? Anybody like that tonight? When how many Christians are here? You say, Preacher, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But God, the Holy Spirit has dealt with my heart tonight from the Word of God about some things I need to do, about some decisions I need to make, maybe about some things I need to stop doing. Pray for me. There are some commitments, some decisions I need to make. Pray for me, Brother Sid. Anybody like that tonight, just lift your hand. Pray for me. God has dealt with my heart. God bless you. God bless you. Pastor Carmen, come with you. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, the piano begins to play. If the Lord is working in your heart, we'll give you an opportunity to respond this evening. Perhaps you need recognize tonight the, the great need for man. Your burden for man, lost souls. The Lord's touched your heart. Would you respond there at your pew or here at the altar this evening?